Hey, everybody, this is Larry the Cable Guy. Check this out. So I'm in my truck driving with my buddy, and we was heading up to the men's warehouse to fart in the suits, and he's listening to his phone. And I said, that sounds like Hermes Sadler. He said, it is Hermes Sadler. He's got a podcast called Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I said, Sadler and the Senator? He said, yeah, that's his good buddy, Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. I said, well, what in the world? He didn't know this. I said, did you know that Hermie Sadler was voted one of the 50 best-looking drivers in NASCAR? He said, I did not know that. I said, because it ain't true. <laughs> you never know, though. He never takes off his helmet. But I know one thing. This show, Leaning Right, Turning Left, is good. So pull up a chair right there by your phone, get yourself a cold beer, and give a listen right here to this week's episode of Leaning Right, Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I'll tell you what, I bet Michael Waltrip's even listening. He's always wanted to do something like that. Oh, Sadler, got another one over on Waltrip. Get her done! I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. And I'm former NASCAR driver, Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. Leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator is back for another episode, and as always, is powered by Pacematic. What do you say, Herm? Doing good, Senator. How are you? Oh, man, I'm busier than a one-armed paper hanger with the hives. I'm just trying to get everything in before the end of the year with my court cases, trying to get ready for the new General Assembly sessions coming up in 2024 with all these lobbyists calling, all these people wanting you to carry their bills. And and uh, so it's uh, it's like drinking out of a fire hose right now. I'm using a lot of uh, old... And you shit. love it. And you <laughs> I, love it. I didn't say I loved it. But, I know you love it. Well, that's why you do it. Every time I complain about it, my wife looks at me and says, uh, well, you ran for it. And she's yeah. right. But, you know, you know, you can do some good things there. And, and I think, you know, what we've got uh, coming up is going to be a little different with all these new legislators. You know, um, we've got with new legislators come new uh, legislative assistants. Uh, I sent my two guys up there. One was my son, Colin, and I hired a full-time legislative aide, and they went up for a two-day training session, a little field trip, and I think they were kind of shocked because of the legislative aides that actually, the new ones that are coming in from the liberal side, we've got, you know, 18, 19 new liberal, uh, well, not 18, 19, but, but uh, 12 new um, Democrat Senate offices, and, and they're hiring people that may not have been there before, and uh, I asked them about a debriefing, and they were saying that, they asked a lot of questions, and some of them were kind of silly. I mean, they were more concerned about employee-on-employee uh, employee violence, staff-on-staff staff violence, which I'm to understand our Madam Clerk, the wonderful Susan Char, looked at them like, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, we don't have staff-on-staff staff violence. We don't. But, it, but I had to then tell my gentleman, um, I had to say, hey, look, this is what we're looking at now is, is the triggering. You know, you could say something, you don't address them with the right pronouns. You say something you think is funny and they think it's rude and off color and suddenly you're attacking them. It's and, and really words to the liberals are violence. So staff on staff violence. And they kept asking questions until Madam Clerk shut them down. And uh, it was really kind of interesting to listen to the boys talk about it. But then I had to really instruct them. Listen, man, you got to be on your toes. You got to watch it because there are going to be some easily offended people in there. Um, you know, we've never had any staff on staff violence, let alone arguments. We're always gracious to everybody. That's how my staff works. Liberal, conservative, 
uh, somebody off the street, somebody who's a lobbyist. We try to respect everybody. But I thought that was interesting as we hurtle towards the General Assembly session and may portend of what might be coming in 2024 when we have this new. Are you going to need are you going to need our buddy Jeff Jarrett to accompany you to uh, <laughs> the Capitol this year to yeah. Yeah. Uh, lay what he refers to as the stroke? On somebody over there, if they don't do right, we might need this stroke. If he just walks next to me with his guitar, and maybe a championship. because he was very popular. He was very popular at the Capitol, and much to your chagrin, much more popular than you. <laughs> well, that's not hard around here, especially with you, man. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it concerns me a little bit about what's coming up. You know, I mean, I just got to wonder about that. And you know, you know, as you're talking, and I just kind of pulled it up. You would not believe, and I don't know if you read VPAP anymore, but Cardinal News, which is a great newspaper we've had. No. Dwayne, <laughs> Dwayne Nancy's been on the uh, show. He's the editor, a great guy. You would be surprised that there was a uh, an editorial called Civility is Required for Success in Government, authored by Dick Saslaw and our buddy, the outgoing senator from Williamsburg, Tommy Norman. And oh, they were telling us about how they're worried about whether civility can be returned to the Senate. And and, you know, let me just go down a little bit because it was funny. Um, they were they were citing it's coming of, from two of the most divisive people that I've been associated with in my short time trying to lobby for small businesses and fair government in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Correct. And so, you know, and the question they ask is, can the Senate be the Senate again? We think so. The debates and issues that dominated the last 30 years are no more or less contentious than those considered when we entered the chamber late in the last century. While our culture may be more coarse and less mannered, its leaders can choose to reflect our best characteristics instead of our worst. And in that, and I've got to find it, so I've had a couple of friends of mine who are in the Senate who are lawyers, they cited some bad behavior, okay? Um, and, I, and, I, and I want you to guess who they're talking about, okay? All right? So, uh, and I thought this was rich. During the course of this century, the boundaries of civility have been stretched, to put it mildly. One former member of the chamber read an obscenity-laced passage during a debate. You know who that is? No. Okay. That's Senator Tom Garrett, when he was a senator. He's now a delegate-elect. He's been elected to the House of Delegates. He was reading... I know Tom. Yeah. Yeah. Good guy. He was reading from a passage of a book that was not age appropriate, but in the libraries. And we had to clear out the pages because they were sensitive to it. And I thought he made his point really well, but I guess these guys were appalled by that. So that was Tom Garrett. Another applied a disparaging epithet to the Senate clerk while cursing out a Capitol police officer. Any guess? No, they're referring to Amanda Chase, Senator Amanda Chase, current Senator uh, did not get reelected. Um, she had a parking incident where she wanted to park somewhere on the Capitol Square. It wasn't permitted. Yeah. And she uh, yelled at the police officer. I think she said, do you know who I am? Those kind of things. And then might have made a disparaging remark about our clerk, which was. Wasn't she, wasn't she removed from the Senate caucus? Yes. No, she quit. She quit. it. We didn't remove her. Okay. We'll quit. She okay. quit. She quit. And, you know, I like Amanda. I don't, I don't I've never had a problem with Amanda. Um, you know, we've had our backs and forth, but I don't have a problem with her. So that's Amanda Chase. Third one, in the process of a tirade, one senator told a citizen he would, quote, rip his expletive deleted heart out. Any guess? No. Uh, that would be Joe Morsey. <laughs> and 
And quite frankly, your friend and client. Love him, love him, love him, yeah. and uh, still do. And so, yeah, that was him. And quite frankly, from what I heard of the story, he might have had a good reason to do it. The person was attacking his family. And then the finish. We've even had a senator make a thinly veiled promotion for his own law practice on the floor of the Senate. Any guess? Nope. That would be me. <laughs> According to Norman. Imagine that. Yeah. So so what this is is like a it looks like a, on the way out bitch fest of calling out. So you people. made you made you made the passage. You yeah. you made the yeah. you made the book. I had to call You're in the book. I had to call some people to confirm. There there's some other senators who were lawyers like, no, that's me. I'm like, no, that's me. I'm telling you. He came up and was upset with me. I'd made some reference. Think about a case, but might have been even about the skill games case. I think that's probably what it is but made a thinly veiled promotion for his own law practice on the floor of the Senate. I mean, on the way out, I'm going to stick my dirty finger in your eyes. I'm the most civil uh, man with the most civility and you guys are all trash. And, uh, and he puts it in a thing. This which, is Tommy Norman saying this. Yeah. Was, well, Tommy Norman and Dick says the, the, the same, this women, women, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same Tommy Norman that referred to owners of convenience stores that operate skill games as Alibaba. That that Tommy Norman from the floor of the Senate, no less. Yes, you're exactly oh, okay. right. So that that's not divisive or right. racist at right. all. Right. Not at all. Right. <laughs> Good point. And so Jesus you know, Christ. I know. Can you believe this? I mean, on the way out. Hey, how about hey? You know, I, I understand the topic of civility and why civility Hi, should Mr. be. Hi, Miss <laughs> Haley. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Good. Good to see you. Good to see you. Haley's. Working, she's doing her chores this morning, taking up trash. Nothing makes a day better than seeing Miss Haley, and especially when we're talking about but, Tommy Norman and Dick Sassel. Yeah, I, I mean, respect for Dick Sassel. My understanding is this has no, he he didn't write this passage. This came from yeah. Tommy Norman, and it's just kind of bitterness on the way out the door, you know. I mean, this is a guy, you know, I could talk about all day long who's transactional with the Democrats, who was, you know, who did everything he could to, you know, to control it all. And uh, not involve the caucus. We, we've well, had- I'm not. I'm. I'm not sure I've ever told you this, but. Um, and Tommy Norman. In my three years of trying to, um, I wouldn't call it lobby, but advocate for small businesses and fair government and all this, even before. This lawsuit we filed, going on, you know, three years ago. Tommy Norman, you know, never would give me a meeting. I could never, he would never agree to sit down and talk with me, even though he was supposedly friends with, you know, the Davises that own Davis Truck Stop and all that. And they kept telling me, oh, yeah, we'll get you a meeting. Because all I ever wanted from people like him that you ultimately gave was an opportunity to sit down and explain what this is really all about more so than just what the law is and what skill games are and all that. Tommy Norman would never, and by the way, neither would Janet Howe, but Tommy Norman would never agree to sit down and have a conversation with me. But I did cross paths with him in the hallway one day in the Pocahontas building. And I had two or three other people with me. Tommy walks up to me, shakes my hand, you know, hey, Hermie, Tommy Norman, you know, nice to see you. Uh, appreciate everything that you and your brother, you know, have done for the Commonwealth of Virginia over the years. Y'all have represented Southside, blah, 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 all that. 
And I, he says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, you know, advocating for small business and skill. Guy. Oh, yeah. You know, when all that. I said, let's let me set up a meeting. Oh, yeah. You know, get with my aide and we'll set something up, whatever. Yada, yada, yada. Nice as he could be. Well, five minutes later, I walk into the bathroom in the Pocahontas building and he doesn't know I'm in there and he's telling somebody else. That's Saturday skill game. And he just got complete 180 <laughs> for what he told me, you know. And so when I walked back out of the building after that, I told Tommy, I said, I just heard everything you said and what your true feelings are. I'm not going to waste my time trying to set up a meeting with you. And wow. I did. So I've never know, heard that before from you. Yeah. Yeah. So what, and I can only speak from my personal experience. He is a true politician in public, but when he thinks he's in private and doesn't agree with you, then he um, he he's Billy Badass in the Porta John there at the Pocahontas <laughs> building. <laughs> Billy Badass in the Porta John. Uh, well, yeah, you know, and that's just it. Um, you know, we we always had our issues. Um, I I have to admit that I lived to drive him nuts. When I noticed that I could get under his skin, I lived to drive him crazy. There was that time when uh, Louise Lucas uh, yelled at him and said, you take you and your, and your J.C. Penny little boys uh, department suits and get the hell out of here. And it created a whole hell of a lot of attention. And so one day on the Senate floor, I, it turned out it was uh, James Cash Penny's uh, birthday. So I read a point of personal privilege, basically to stick it to him. About his and and I said that little boys suits were on sale at JC Penney's for thirty percent off. Um, anytime I could drive him nuts, I enjoyed it. And maybe that's I don't know sadistic, but it just seemed to me that as transactional he was. And I mean, you knew what he was, and he knew what he wasn't. Um, he'd be like, "Hey, how you doing? Hey, good to see you." And but then he would hide all the stuff from the caucus that he was doing, in my opinion. And you know, and it just it was he was making deals. I used to say it was the Fab Five. He, you know, he would talk to us about issues that were important on the Senate, and then he'd go make a deal with Dick, Janet, Louise, uh, Mamie. You know, that was basically it. Uh, he had disdain. You mean he's two-faced? Uh, That's what I just said. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to say that too much, but I'm going to say he says one thing, in my opinion, and does another, and that's where hey, we Well, go. me, Hermie Sadler, the small business owner who is not running for office ever again and is uh, disenchanted with <laughs> politics is going to call him two-faced. You call him whatever you want. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I mean, it was even, he, he jumped, he used to get transcripts, remember of this podcast and, and, you yeah. know, keep my name off your podcast. No, I don't think so. You know, I tried to respect him. I tried to try to do the right thing. He basically iced out Bryce Reeves and myself as whips from any consideration. And in the last years, you know, because our, our caucus had turned conservative, less liberal, uh, like he was, he had to surround himself with guys like Mark Obenshane and Steve Newman, who used to despise him in order to preserve his power. And now we have Ryan McDougal, who even in the first meetings, man, transparency, we know what's in the accounts. We know where the money's going. You know, they're involving everybody in engagement and in caucus policies and in protocols and what we do going forward. It's a breath of fresh air. But, you know, I'm reading this uh, this op-ed uh, and, and after citing that they had made, they even had it. We even had a Senator make a thinly veiled promotion for his own law practice on the floor of Senate. He came running over and I was like, I, I was not promoting my firm. I'm like, what are you talking about? But he had a case that he asked about that. 
but here's his par- final paragraph after that. It's inconceivable to us that these serious lapses in civility, decorum, and respect would have been tolerated a mere generation ago. While it could be easily argued that those elected to serve in the Senate of Virginia are representative of our cultural tenor at this point in time, that cannot be justification or excuse for bad behavior in a body entrusted with such responsibilities. Citizens should expect and demand better from those they entrust to serve. And it's just, spare me the sanctimony, buddy. I mean, we respect the Senate. We respect the decorum. Um, the Morrissey thing was, uh, was in his office. The, uh, the Amanda Chase thing was out in a parking lot. Um, and Garrett had a very good point, which was demonstrating. You're seeing it now. Uh, parents reading books that are not culturally, not culturally, not age appropriate in our schools for elementary kids like, you know, Queer as Folk or whatever it's, whatever those books are. He started reading out of them saying, this is why we need to, you know, be mindful of what kids have access to in our, in our school libraries. And he finds that to be, you know, oh, God, ridiculous. Well, let me just say, that's ridiculous. I know you got to be opinion. careful what you say and all that. I respect all that. But. People like Tommy Norman view civility as when people go along and agree with everything that he does. Yeah. And if you don't, then he'll throw all these other little names and comments and all that to the people that don't bow down to him and believe and, and fight for the same things that he does. And, you know, as an outsider looking in, one of the reasons I was running for office is that I think differing opinions are good. I think healthy discussion of debates and issues is good. I don't, I wouldn't expect my first year as a senator or my 25th year as a senator for everybody just to believe and go along with what I believe in. I think if I can educate other people on why I believe what I believe and how I feel and what, and somebody else can do the same thing back to me, that creates healthy dialogue. And from that, you can make better decisions and legislation that, that impacts more people, not just the circle of elites that people like Tommy Norman cater to. And so I, I'm, I'm glad he is gone and or leaving, whatever, you know, whatever that is. Um, and I hope with the new leadership, um, you know, in the Republican side of things in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, that there will be more transparency, there will be more openness, there will be more room for more everyday, average working people to get their opinions heard in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And um, I think we've got a much better shot to do that now with the incoming leadership than we've had uh, with Tommy Norman in charge. Yeah, and, and I can't disagree with you. And I think, quite frankly, Norman's thumb on the scale is gone. Uh, that allows more, you know, equanimity uh, uh, with our 19-member caucus, more participation. Uh, we're looking out for each other. We're not just looking out for number one anymore. I think what we're going to see is a real transformation where our messaging can get out in a way that really uh, entices and, and excites voters and probably in four years can get us back to a majority. You know, and look, you know this way better than I do because you have been involved in it and continue to be involved in it. But as a caucus, if if the Democrats know or think or or uh, if they think that you guys and girls on the Republican side are divided or broken, they, they they're going to try to 
you know, take even more advantage of that. If they know or think that y'all on the caucus of the Republican Party in Virginia is united and, you know, on the same page and all that, then that, that makes you stronger, even though there's going to be a, you know, you guys are at a, a, a numbers deficit. If, if you're strong and united um, and, and come across that way more so than you have in the past, then I think that gives y'all, um, as, as a team, better chances to, to, to get things done. And so I hope uh, that continues to be the case. Yeah, and I got to hand it to Senator Mark Obenshane and Senator Ryan McDougal. You know Ryan very well. You guys are good friends. And, yeah. and um, they came together after the elections. Both of them wanted probably the same job, which was leader. Uh, and they came together and they said, hey, let's, let's unify. And so by unani- unanimity, not by a contentious vote, Ryan McDougal was elected as our minority leader and our caucus chair is Mark Obenshane. They're working great together. And then um, myself and Bryce Reeves were elected the the whips and we're, we're even putting together a whip. You know, people say, what's a whip? A whip is what you do with the votes. You, you make sure you're, you're counting noses to make sure we have enough votes to get something out of committee on the floor, out of the floor, and even in the house. But, you know, I'd written a whip program that, uh, the former minority majority leader that we were just talking about wouldn't even accept, which would allow some personal control of the, and some collaboration, personal control of the Senator and some collaboration with the Senate caucus, you know, pick three or four of your important bills that you got to take back to, to your district that are going to help you get reelected that are going to make a difference. And then we'll get all behind them and, and we'll make sure we talk to people to make sure you have enough votes. We'll help you with the drafting. We'll help you with the edits. Uh, we'll we'll do as a caucus what we should be doing, which is protecting each other. Because when you protect each other, there's more unanimity. I mean, the Democrats, you know, we've talked about this before, man. They walk in lockstep. They never break. Uh, we found ourselves in our caucus, even in, when we were in the majority, kind of breaking apart because there was no camaraderie, no esprit de corps. There was no, you know, it was every man for himself. So everybody felt free to have their own opinion and squash what should have been, you know, 21 Republicans moving it through the chamber. And, you know, that kind of divisiveness was, I think, what the former leader transpired and transacted on. Uh, it certainly got us to some points. But here now we've had two straight elections, two straight elections run by him, and we've lost the majority. And each time, you know, not been back in the majority. So, you know, um, happy retirement. Uh, we'll see. Well, this is away. You know, my next right. statement. I'm my next it. statement is probably not going to mean a whole lot to anybody else. And I don't expect you to make a comment on it either, but even outside of everything that we just talked about, Tommy Norman as Senate leader in an environment where we have always been told, or I've always been told that, you know, uh, the general assembly doesn't meddle in issues where there's ongoing litigation from the moment, from the day that I filed a lawsuit, against the Commonwealth of Virginia, for personal reasons, in my opinion, Tommy Norman has multiple times uh, gotten involved in our lawsuit and tried to tip the scales or put his finger on the scales, filed amicus briefs and all that in support of the position of casinos and other people turning his back on small business owners in the Commonwealth of Virginia, including those in the district that he represents. And he's doing all of this while being the leader of the, um, you know, of, of the Republican caucus in Virginia. So that alone disqualifies him 
for people like me because that's not what you use your position of leadership for. Um, um, and, you know, he, tr- he tries to be a bully in some of those things like that. So yeah, um, I don't have any use for him whatsoever, period. Well, so, and, and the people that may be joining and us. You can delete that time. if you want to, no, but I, I did say I, I am not deleting it. But the people that might be joining us for the first time, we welcome you. But we, what we've been doing is fighting for small businesses and skill games, not games of chance, to be able to be operated in convenience stores, truck stops, restaurants, and bars. And one of our biggest bugaboos, one of our biggest adversaries, well, there were two, Janet Howell, who ran Senate Finance, who would never let that happen, even depriving the state of a quarter of a billion dollars in revenue and choosing to favor uh, casinos over um, you know, small businesses in Virginia. Uh, and, uh, and Senator Norman, who you were talking about, uh, who made that outrageous comment on the floor of the Senate describing people who, uh, some of the, our East Asian Americans who own these stores and, and put their life's work and blood in and sweat and tears into it. Uh, and then, you know, as if they, you know, have, they act with impunity. He filed, uh, signed on to amicus brief when the first appeal went up to the Supreme court, he D- didn't need my permission, but he could have told me. And then he tried to scold me about something. And I was like, you know, buddy, uh, I'll give you the respect. If you give me, I'll give you the same back. And so, you know, you could have just told me you were doing it before. Shockingly, my leaders name shows up on something that is opposing messing with my client. Uh, and then two, you know, the, the things that were just beat into our head from the top down, which was do not legislate in the budget. Do not put your bills. If they get killed into the budget, we do not legislate from the budget. And what did they do? And you know where it came from because he sat on finance. You know where it came from because she was the chairman of finance. You know where it came from because it benefited one major industry, one monopoly in Virginia. They legislated in the budget, which then legislated, tried to change. They knew we got, they got beat in our court case. So they tried to change the game at halftime and they made changes and put a criminal code into the budget that tried to eliminate skill games, had to change our whole lawsuit uh, and 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 eventually ended up in because the Supreme Court then looked at it and said, "Well, it's gambling." Uh, ended our lawsuit prematurely before we could get a permanent injunction. And now, now these convenience stores, which I know both of them never even go into, they have people go into them for them at best, in my opinion. Um, now what they've done, what they've done is actually put these businesses in peril of closing down and and threaten them during the holidays because they think they're scuzzy, as Janet Howell said. Or as Janet Howell said, they just need to go find some other source of revenue, which is not out there. At the same time that she and that old leadership uh, that is now getting out of here was raising prices on gas, was raising prices on, on the cost of goods, and was raising prices on employability of people, how much they had to pay an hour. And they're just like, "Mm, too bad. It's for the little people. These people lived in these in these ivory towers, and they just looked down on them. And now what they've done, by doing what they said you couldn't do, legislating the budget, is now put these businesses in peril and, and let a big monopolistic octopus business entity win. You know, I remember uh, my former leader was totally against gambling, which I was and still am. Against, against, against it, against it, against it. And then one year, boom, total change. So first, it was Colonial Downs. Oh, nope. We got to let Colonial Downs back. We got to have Paramutual Bedroom, historic ho- horse racing. And it let the door open. And then all of a sudden, yeah, casinos were great. And I was like, wait a minute. How could you just switch like that? 
But that was not a problem if you don't, you know, if you're not uh, held to what you believed before, if you can be. All right, let's talk about somebody else. We've given him enough time. No, I'm just, I'm still. But listen, I will end it by saying in the Cardinal News uh, editorial, which you can go and read, I wear that as a badge of honor. I've always tried to piss him off. I'm glad I pissed him off. And I hope he enjoys, uh, you know, his happy retirement. But I hope he understands what he did to small business on his his way out. Uh, So that's that. Now, uh, speaking of skill games. You know, we always update everybody. We've got a big following that follows the skill games litigation. We just talked about it a little bit, man. This is about fighting government overreach. You have fought a, a, a strong battle. Uh, but now uh, that the Supreme Court has ruled, we now see a little bit of Big Brother coming in. And uh, I don't know if you saw this, Herm, but um, according to the state police, and it was just released this week, um, anyone needing to report anonymously a criminal violation or alleged criminal violation of gaming laws are encouraged to call a toll-free tip line. And that tip line is 1-833-889-2300. And you can also go on the Virginia State Police, uh, their website, but you're going to be giving anonymous tips. Now we're, we're seeking anonymous tips from the community to help the Virginia State Police investigate violations involving lottery games, sports betting, betting, casino games, fantasy contests, horse racing, paramutual uh, uh, wagering, and also skill games. So, and, and um, my new assistant, my new legislative aide is just saying that they've already received a hundred plus calls to, and to what they call the skill game tip line. So now yeah. uh, what we have out there is um, turn in your neighbor, you know, call in and, and, and narc on your neighbor on your little convenience store. Owner. Let's turn these good guys who are just trying to make a living and help their communities as convenience store operators, restaurants, and bars. Let's make them criminal. And here's your way to do it anonymously. So if you want to get back at somebody, you can make a 1-800 phone call and you can nip them. How about that? Yeah, it's just sad. I mean, the whole thing is just the, you know, and I had this guy, uh, I told you before we came on the air, I, um, there was an event, a local business owner, Mick and Ty Topping, in the real estate business, they rented out so showed the restaurant last night to have a a Christmas party and uh, customer appreciation, and you know they invited bankers and other associates involved in their business. and And I talked to a lady that was there that rents a building from Mick Toppin that was operating legally operating some skill games not too far from right here in Emporia. And I'd never met this lady before, but she came up out of the blue was telling me how thankful she was that, you know, that we had taken on this fight because she didn't have the resources to do it. She never would have had a voice, you know, and, um, you know, but she was just telling me, she said, you know, we're right here at the holidays and we've got these people that are now, you know, coming after my business and, you know, threatening me. And she said, I've spent my whole life to, to, to build my own business and try to put myself in a position to, to operate a business and take care of my family and all that. And, you know, my frustration back that she shares is a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to argue about, you know, what's a skill game, what's a game of chance, how much skills involved to make it, you know, not gambling and, and all this, that and the other. And, 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 and my frustration has always been more than that is why this is happening. You know, how many times have you heard me say, Bill, I've, I, we've operated some form of skill game, whether it be pinball machines, Galaga, Pac-Man, Centipede, 
coin pushers, whatever, at the truck stop here in Emporia since the mid-1980s. And we've always done it the right way, done it within the law, uh, paid our taxes, did all that. Nobody gave two cents about it until the casinos came in. Now, all of a sudden, oh, y'all can't do that. And it's just, you know, the fact that the government is, is coming in and, and, and telling my company, you know, we're going to take this from you and give it to the casinos and telling people like this nice lady I met last night for the first time that, you know, your business is not important. Your small business that you're operating is not as important because we think everybody that wants to, you know, participate in the gaming industry in Virginia has to go to Rosie's if you're in Emporia, or you have to go to the Portsmouth Casino if you're in Portsmouth, or if you have to go to the Danville Casino if you're in Danville. And she said the same thing we said on this podcast a thousand times, Bill. She said, the people that come in my store, they don't like Rosie's. They don't want to go to, they don't want to be in, around all those people. They don't want to go to, you know, or maybe don't have the, the, um, you know, the means to go to Portsmouth, you know, why are they restrict and they're, they're only restricting these other businesses because of the power and leverage and influence and the lobbying nature of the casinos. So that is the sad part to me. But when I hear a personal story, like I heard last night of a, this lady, sweet black lady, probably mid forties that is trying to operate and run a business on her own first time in, in her family's history that somebody in her family graduated from college and is running a business within the law. And all of a sudden, because, oh boy, we've got to cater to the casinos because they've got all this money behind them. We're going to turn our back and, and shut down this single lady that has put her life, work, and savings into operating this small business and now all of a sudden she's not good enough and those stories like that will be a little really heartbreaking for me yeah especially you know um if you hadn't taken up the the sword to fight an unconstitutional law which was proven to be unconstitutional in our first uh, granting of our temporary injunction which obviously was unconstitutional because again uh the fab five in the in the general assembly minus uh, i think louise lucas but you know the people that hated it the louis the uh Janet House, the Tommy Normans, worked with the casinos, in my opinion. Uh, that's what I can gather. And rewrote the law to try to beat us again and hurt people and hurt people that were trying to do this the right way. Um, and, and there you go. And so, you know, all of these and things. Look, I'm going to say this lady's name because sometimes, you know, people may think, oh, they just make up names. This lady's name was Tiffany Tyler. From right here in Emporia, Virginia. She came out last night to this event with Mick Toppin. So what you have here, Bill, that I think these casino people are not fully considering. You've got Tiffany Tyler, as I said, nice, sweet lady, about 45 years old, I would guess, that her business is in jeopardy. Not only are we, as the Commonwealth of Virginia, targeting her in her business, She's also renting a building from Mick Toppin. So Mick Toppin, who he and his son are trying to grow and develop in the real estate business, they're going to lose a tenant. So Tiffany Tyler is going to lose her business, and Mick and Ty Toppin are going to lose a rent-paying tenant because 
the casinos and the Rosies and Churchill Downs and all these people with it, they're God and they deserve it all. So these are the stories, Bill, that people are just not paying attention to. Right. So here, I, you know, I've known Mick and Ty Toppin my whole life. You know, they scratched and clawed and dug and everything to, you know, to, to, to build a business. Ty Toppin went and served our country in Iraq and he's back and now in the real estate business. So, you know, because we're catering to casinos, they're going to lose a tenant in this Tiffany Tyler lady. I want to put a name with a story so people would know who I'm talking about is her business is, is going to be in jeopardy simply because not because she ran a bad business or did anything wrong. It's because we have determined in the Commonwealth of Virginia that catering to the casinos and giving them a monopoly is more important than giving Tiffany Tyler her constitutional rights and the ability to run her business and pay her taxes and employ her people and rent a building from Ty and Mick Toppin. It's just the whole, these stories are like this all over the Commonwealth of Virginia. And you would think that people in the Commonwealth of Virginia that have legislative power to uh, would be embarrassed that they've let it get to this point. But I hope one thing that I that gives me hope, Bill, that you and I have mentioned a couple of times too. We won for two and a half. You know, we won for two years. Now we're on the short side of the stick. But during this two years, we have done a lot of good through our advocacy during General Assembly sessions but also with the positive message that we've uh, provided through Sadler Stanley Racing and going to all these different areas in the Commonwealth of Virginia and explaining what Pacematic is, what skill games are, and introducing these small businesses, uh, putting a spotlight on them, and the message that we are delivering through this podcast, we've changed the narrative in a lot of ways and or made people because you and i both know other legislators republicans and democrats listen to this podcast so we're enlightening them on the other side of the story the the other people that don't have the voice and so i think we're even through defeat temporary defeat we are setting the stage hopefully for legislative victory which in 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 all honesty a legislative victory. In other words, y'all y'all coming together in a bipartisan way to get something done on this issue in this upcoming session is really the only way to fix it anyway, permanently. Yeah. And so I hope we're setting the stage to get that done coming up this session. Well, I, I got a good feeling about that, but you know, not only the convenience store owner, I, I was stopped by a gentleman who's in our neighborhood at our convenience store and Vietnam vet and lives nearby the convenience store, walks down there. You know, he said, I don't have a lot to do anymore. Uh, the older I get and coming down here, I get to see my friends and, and play the skill game. And it's important for me. It's like socializing. I get, it's something to do. And he's not one that's going to go to these casinos. He's not going to get in his car. He's older, um, but he gets to come down there and socialize and, and the, and the business knows him and, and he's a part of the fabric of my community. And here he was saying, what am I going to do? And, you know, did Janet Howell and Tommy Norman think about that? And I, and I don't think they did. When they said, oh, you're just going to have to go find some other way to make, uh, make up that difference in revenue, they weren't thinking about the human factor that also comes with it. And that, you know, to me, it's kind of an elitist position where, where they say you can only, you know, if you, if you can get dressed up and go to a casino in Bristol, Portsmouth, uh, Danville, 
uh, maybe Petersburg, then you can participate in the gambling market. Oh, but but if you want to make a sports bet, if you want to make a sports bet, just use your phone. You can gamble your heart to your heart's content. And I mean, the number of of money that came out of you know just one month's gambling, I think it was like five hundred million dollars was wagered in the Commonwealth of Virginia in gambling in a month span. But you know, so so that's like not just picking winners or losers, but who can participate in not only the offering of the gaming, but who's allowed to participate in the playing of the gaming. And it just, to me, just blows me away. So, you know, hey, let me, let me, let me run. Let me give you another scenario that nobody talks about. Sure. Okay. So let's just say you decided that you were going to lease a convenience store. Let's say I owned a convenience store. Um, up in Franklin County area. You came to me and said, Hermie, I want to find something for my son to do. Uh, I want, I'm going to rent this store from you. I'm going to lease this store from you. So you and I sit down and you look at the business plan of grocery sales, gas sales, legally operated skill game revenues, all that. And you sit down with me and you and I come up with a 10-year lease that you're going to lease this store for me for 10 years. And you made a deal and signed it. Okay? Then two months later, the government comes in and says, we're sorry, Mr. Stanley. We're taking this skill game revenue that you were operating legally and giving it to the casinos because, you know, they've lobbied the General Assembly. So you've lost that revenue on no fault of your own, but you've already signed a 10-year lease with me to make a payment on a business or a building. So basically, in essence, what happened is the government changed the rules of the game at halftime. So in their stories like this, Bill, I'm telling you, I, I mean, since, since the Supreme Court vacated our injunction, I have been called and went to look at no less than five convenience stores within a 50-mile radius of where I live that are, are now going to be on the market because they can't afford to stay open. Wow. So how, how is that after you? Okay, and now we're talking about people that, you know, are getting by on a shoestring budget anyway. But in your case, put yourself in position of some of these other people and say, hey, I, and it, look, in my case, and I try not to make these cases about me, but you know yourself in October of 2020, me and my wife purchased pilot truck stop in Suffolk, Virginia yep. for a little over $6 million. My, my wife makes a payment to the bank every month for that place for $48,000. Now the government has come in and said, okay, this part of the revenue that was being generated at this place legally and doing everything the right way, that revenue is now gone. So do you think I'm able to go back and, and renegotiate or, or, or flake or waffle on my deal to, make, to pay that money back? No. no. No, no. So forget, but I'm saying there are so many people that mom and pop operators that, you know, that have signed up and are trying to operate businesses, buy businesses, run businesses, employ people, provide benefits, pay the rising cost of labor that in some cases is not deserved by bad decisions the government's made in other areas. 
and they come in after people have made life-altering commitments on businesses, and then they come in and say, okay, now we're changing the rules. Now you don't have that. And so, that, you know, that's what the overall frustration is with me is nobody's paying attention to these families that they are putting under a lot of stress at a minimum to devastating them at a maximum. And all they care about is what do the casinos want? They, they have to get a monopoly because they've got all these people lobbying for them. And it, just that whole concept of them being better than the people, you cannot play with people's lives like that. You've got to have some consideration for, you know, when people sign their name on a dotted line, like you look in, in the example I gave you about leasing a store, you know, now they're just saying, like Janet Howe, Bill, find another way to pay that note. Yeah. yeah. You can't do that. No. No. And especially as you said, you know, when you change the rules of the game halfway through. And that's what they've done to a lot of people. And, and nobody a big talks chunk about of revenue it. too to those guys. Nobody nobody mentions it. No. And it's a big chunk of revenue. And the most important thing with the way the labor market is now, I've told you, I mean, how many times have I confided in you? I mean, over the last three or four years, we went from paying twelve bucks an hour for a good cashier to eighteen, nineteen, twenty dollars an hour for a cashier, not as good, because I've got to compete with the government on wages that we're paying people to come to work. But these skill games that are in these stores are not labor intensive. So I don't have to hire extra people. I've already got people there. And then when you take that away, you know, we can talk about the law and what we believe the law is and the constitution and all that. But on top of all that, and what I would think would be more importantly than that is the ethics of it. I mean, we got people that are signing their life away trying to live the American dream right here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and then we're shooting them right between the eyes. It's just humble. It's just, it's, it's sad. Yeah. It really is sad what's happening and worse than that, why? So what's your opinion then on this, you know, narc, <laughs> this tattletale uh, tip line? I mean, it's, to me, it always seems like big, big brother, big government, when you're trying to get, you know, anonymously, you can turn in your, your neighbor. And, and, and then, yeah. so here's, so first, I, I got a problem with that. But here's what I really think. If I'm the casino guy, what am I going to do with this tip line? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run that thing up every day, put in tips, sure. having other people put in tips for me, and just doing what I can to clear out all of these small businesses. Listen, and look at what Hermie and Bill's injunction did. Look at all the problems that have to be cleaned up because of, you know, this skill game, you know, injunction. and they are the ones, the the people in Richmond, they're the ones that created this vacuum by taking away the oversight uh, to start with. But yeah, they yeah. they wanna they want it to make it sound like it's just a huge, devastating problem that got worse when we protected small business rights. No question about that. Well, and, and think of it this way, and I'll and I'll tell you a little bit. I talked to one of their lobbyists who's who's who I think the world of, even in spite of who he may represent. And he, and I said, you know, is there a way to make a deal here, man? And they were like, nope, it's going to be a fight to the death. They're never going to make a deal. But now it just seems to me that this instrument that the state police has put up may be a weapon for them to call in the mom and pop shops 
to start eliminating their competition, their, their, what they see as competition, which is not competition. And ultimately then use it as a tool and a weapon to go to the general assembly next year and say, see all these criminals, see all these things. We got rid of it. That's why you don't need to bring it back. You know? Um, and I don't even know that the state police or any locality has the capacity to act on all these tips. So, you know, I see this as, okay, I understand why maybe the state doesn't, but I see it with the possibility of it being abused um, by the very forces that don't want small businesses to be involved in the gaming industry and could be a weaponized uh, instrument for them to load it up for the General Assembly in January 2024. What do you think? Well, let me ask you this, and I just, this may have been decided, you know, but I never completely understood it. So when we went back to court, you know, when when the circuit court ruled basically that Supreme Court had handcuffed the circuit court. Yes. Um, what they said, you know, they said, okay, they say it's gambling, so it's gambling. Okay, that, that's basically what I got out of it. But what about the issue of Dave and Buster's? And Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> and great the State Fair. So I know people that can come in to when we were operating them at the, at the truck stop, the Queen of Virginia games, and would win every time because they knew how to beat the game. I also know people that can go to Dave and Buster's and put money in Pac Man machine. And play and play and play and play and play because they've learned the patterns of the game and they're steady winning free games and credits on their little card to, that you can then take and cash in for prizes. So are the state police going to Dave and Buster's? Are the state police going to Chuck E. Cheese? That, that, I, these questions, Bill, were never answered. Right. I mean, the circuit court got handcuffed and railroaded by the Supreme Court that just said, we think this is gambling, so therefore it's gambling. Okay, but what about all these other places that, you know, if, if, if they're saying that a game that you play, use your skill to win is gambling, doesn't that bring back in all these other games that are being played at these other locations yeah. that that you can win by skill if if, they, if, they, if they're just going to roll them all up in a ball and say it's all gambling because we say it's gambling. Okay, so are they going to just target? I mean, is anybody going to call on the tip line and say, if you want to go bust a lot of people right off the bat, go to Dave and Buster's because there's <laughs> thousands of them in there. Put the Buster and Dave and Buster, wouldn't you? I mean, it's yeah. No, you make a great point. I mean, I'm, I'm being serious. How, what what are they doing? Because how do the police know what they're supposed to do? How does the Virginia State Police? How does a Commonwealth attorney supposed to know a hunt with a hundred percent certainty who they can go after and who they can't? If if and you tell me if I'm wrong. I just gathered from what the Supreme Court said and how it was handed down from the Circuit Court. He basically. I, I view the judge's ruling in our case, and you tell me if I'm wrong. This is not necessarily what I believe, but the Supreme Court has basically said this is gambling, so therefore it's gambling. Well, and if you look at this thing, it says the new tip line is going to help Virginia State Police investigate violations regarding Virginia lottery games. What kind of you know illegal activity do we have going on there? I mean, people steal them. 
uh, but they usually get caught because they're you know they're they've got a serial number on them. Sports betting. Well, you know, bookies are basically out of business. Um, you know, before we legalized sports betting in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we had bookmakers, bookies. You know, the underworld bookie, as you remember, who come and take your bet. You bet and you gamble, maybe get a little credit. If you win, he pays you. If you don't, you have to pay him. Um, those things are basically wiped away because we've made legal now the bookie, and the bookie comes from Las Vegas. And then it says casino gaming. Okay, so what are we talking about? Texas Hold'em games in somebody's basement? I mean, are those really going to be, you know, what's on the tip line of, hey, man, somebody's running a baccarat table in their basement over on, you know, Spring Street. Fantasy contest. Well, that, again, fantasy football is all the time, and people wager privately. Are they going after that? Are we going to have tips on those? Anonymous tips about Jerry and Barry and Larry have a fantasy football league, and they're betting $100 for the win for whoever wins a championship. I mean, that's not going to be there. And, and or horse racing, paramutual wagering. Well, we've legalized that through Ro- through Rosie's. We've legalized that through uh, Colonial Downs. And then the last thing, which is skill games. So really, this tip line is just for skill games. Because everything else they say that you can call and report are either legalized already and controlled by the casinos. Or, you know, who, nobody's going to bust a, a weekly card game that, you know, three guys in the neighborhood have at their house. This is about and, and focused on skill games and focused on small businesses. So I think you're exactly right in the sense that what you're trying to do uh, here, what they're trying to do is focus it on skill, focus it on small business, try to wipe up the floor with them as much as they can and make them look like bad people. And so I see this as an instrument for the casinos rather than an instrument for law and order. And your point that you just brought up, which I hadn't thought about, is that if you read the law, because you and I have read this law, which is in the budget, which we've been talking about, and the way that a skill game is defined, it encaptures every single game, pretty much, and the way that they're operated and the prizes and money that you can receive in Dave and Buster's and Chuck E. Cheese. Go to a Dave and Buster's. We went in there. You can win money. You can win prizes. You can win expensive, you know, um, stuff. That one, that one promotion they had, even on a commercial, you could win like $200,000. Yeah, which means it exactly falls <laughs> in the definition of what a skill game was that the casinos wrote. But are you going to have, I mean, you know, is, is somebody calling up the beep, pop, boop, boop, boop. Hey, uh, there's a David Buster's in Virginia Beach, man, and I just won $300. You guys need to go get it. My, my name is uh, Ricky. That's my code name. Bye. Bleep. And are they going to go bust Dave and Buster's? No, because, yeah. you know, one of our reporters in the area, Joe DeShiel, asked when Lynchburg's Commonwealth attorney was talking about enforcing the, the ban and they were going to do it January 1st, which was really nice of them to do. And he said, well, are you going to go, you know, you're going to go, you're going to go bust Dave and Buster's and Chuck E. Cheese. And they were like, we will not be raiding Chuck E. Cheese. Ha ha ha. That's a serious question that they just put aside, which again shows selective enforcement and the risk yeah. of making criminal a, a regular small business owner and letting large corporations get away with, uh, with how they operate when, quite frankly, they fall under the same stupid law that they put in the budget that we're talking about. I mean, well, they never, as far as I'm concerned, as the plaintiff in my lawsuit, they never, it finally got to a point where they didn't, we never got to a resolution of trying to decide what is a skill game necessarily versus what is a game of chance. Right. How much skill, but they just came in and said, 
it's all gambling. It's all gambling, and therefore we control it, and it's illegal unless we ha- unless we say it's legal in this place, that place, or the other place. But these games that are in, you know, if you go to the Portsmouth Casino, they have games of chance. You go play a slot machine, and you've heard me say this a zillion times. You put a quarter in, you pull the lever, and it's a predetermined outcome. You're going to win if you're lucky, and it's time for the machine to hit. But if you go in Dave and Buster's like we did and made video of it, if you can play the racing games or you can play the, you know, the Pac-Man or the Galagas or the shooting games and all that, the better you play, the more you win, and you get these credits charged to your card. And like I did, you can take your card right there to the prize center at the if you're playing at the Dave and Buster's in Richmond, you can collect your prizes there. Or like I did, and we got on video that they said you shouldn't be able to do. I carried my card and drove to Virginia Beach yeah. to Dave and Buster's and took the card that I earned credits on in Richmond and cashed out a prize in Virginia Beach. So you can, they can say what they want to or call it what they want to. But today, right here on December the 7th, as we're taping, I can go to Richmond to Dave and Buster's. and put cash money down and get a card and play games of skill in Dave and Buster's and take that card, earn credits, cash it out for prizes, cash equivalent prizes, whether I do it in Richmond or drive to Virginia beach. And that's okay. But people can't go to Salah truck stop or any of these other small businesses, restaurants, taverns, bars, in the Commonwealth of Virginia and play a skill game in those locations. Yeah, that, that it makes no sense. But again, it's selective enforcement. They're doing just exactly what the skill games were doing in, in your truck stop. And they're going to get away with it because they come under the guise of being Dave and Buster's or having some dude yeah. in a mouse suit. And they're serving kids pizza. When in fact, you know, that may be just a front for what is really under this law in Virginia, in my opinion, criminal activity. And they won't bust them, but they'll bust... Uh, the convenience store down the street. Now, I even have the question, I think we talked about it last week, what are they going to do when they say, hey, I walked by this convenience store and there's three Queen of Virginia games, skill game machines, turned off because all the Queen of Virginia is turned off. But mere possession of that gambling device could put them in peril either in a civil fine of up to $25,000 per machine, per violation, or in criminal peril. And so they get busted when they've turned off their machines, they unplug the machines, they're l- trying to live by the law, and Dave and Buster's out there giving away, you know, uh, toasters, vacuums, and $200,000 in cash if you can play their skill games right, right, and they get away with it, and these stores suffer. And now we have a narc line where you can call 1-800, and I'm, I'm sure no one was going to call, call in and say Dave and Buster's needs to be busted. And even if they did then I'm sure the state police would go, oh, Dave and Buster's, that's, they, they, that's funny. You know, that in in AG's here. office, the AG's office laughed it off every time they, we brought it up in court. But it was true. It's very true. It's very true. And it shows, again, why we need tax and regulation. We need a framework to allow these small businesses to be there. But, but remember what I just said a little earlier. That lobbyist said, because I said, man, we can work. We should be able to work something out here. Nope. They're going to fight to the death to keep skill games and or VGTs out of Virginia for now because they want all the control. So what we're going to see in the General Assembly then, how this translates now is 
you know, not, uh, and let's call them out now. If we if we have them coming in with a big bag of, you know, these tips, see how many illegal games? We know how many illegal games are going on. The proliferation occurred when the General Assembly failed to act and, and made Senate Bill 972 the law, which banned skill games. In came the VGTs and illegal games. Nobody's for those illegal games. But now we've created so much confusion. What are, what's going to happen in the General Assembly? They're going to fight to the death. They've been confounded by our lawsuit. They've been, and they've told me. You know, your this podcast uh, frustrates the hell out of them. Being involved in the race, you know, team and our, getting our message out through Pacematic has has really pissed them off. They didn't expect this kind of pressure, and now they're losing in other states. So they're going to go for it, man. And I think what you're going to see is an all-out battle and war for something that should be very reasonably understood. And you're going to see minds change. You're going to see a finger pointing. You're going to see, and hopefully not partisanship, as we talked about in the last uh, episode. You want to listen to that if you haven't listened to that already. That kind of lays out um, where we are, and we always want to keep you update. And we always say we're going to talk about 10 minutes, and it goes an hour. But what's coming up in the General Assembly isn't going to be, you know, everybody coming together and having a kumbaya moment. I don't think the casinos are going to allow it. Nobody's going to come together and say, you know what, small businesses matter. Let's do something for them. Let's let them participate. The money stays here. It helps employ these people and pay these high wages and and keep their businesses operating in, in areas where there may not be a grocery store or a food. And, and by the way, we want what? to They're be not going to care about that. We want to be fairly taxed and regulated. We want a framework of this many machines at a convenience store, this many machines at this location. You have to a certain level of you know requirements of, of, of the locations these games can be at. And you have to. You know, the, the enforcement has to be there. The taxation has to be there, fair and equitable. We've won all that. We've always wanted all that. But if you listen to people in the casino talk about they want to package it to the court of public opinion, like these people are just outlaws. They don't want to be taxed. They don't. You can't regulate. We, we have been regulated. We were taxed and regulated during the COVID year. We've already proven that that can be done relatively easily and generate a lot of money. But as you said, they have to come to the realization that these small business owners matter and deserve a seat at the table, just like the casinos. Do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's what's going on in this week's edition of what's up with skill games in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I'm still really happy. I mean, Pennsylvania has absolutely done what Virginia should have done in the court of law. They said that skill games are not games of chance. They're not slot machines. Uh, they said, you know, in a win for Pacematic, our sponsor, but a win for skill games and small businesses. Uh, they basically said that they were predominantly games of skill, which people could win every time, and therefore were not covered by the gaming uh, industry's prohibition of these kind of games in small businesses in Pennsylvania. Great victory. Common sense decision by the courts. I wish we would have had that for our court case because I think it would have helped Judge Lerner. I think it would have helped uh, the Supreme Court. Uh, but it still shows that that the tide is turning against casinos and allowing small businesses to participate and this saga goes on. And ladies and gentlemen, this is important because it's about government intervention. It's about corporatization of your state. It's about picking winners and losers. It's everything that's unfair about industry and government that we're trying to make fair and keep this great nation uh, the way it is and the way it was to, meant to be and, and meant to operate, which celebrates the individual, celebrates the small business, the backbone of any society and does not harm them because they're picking winners and losers and picking big corporations over individual citizens and business people in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So, hey, let's take a little break here. And then we're going to come back. I, I want to get your uh, your viewpoint on 
some things. You know, we haven't talked about the Israeli conflict, the war against uh, Hamas. Uh, I, 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 you know, we get into some of the stuff we don't. But yesterday, uh, three uh, university, like the top universities in the United States, their president presidents came to Congress to testify, and they were asked a very simple question. And uh, I think it demonstrates why we're having so many problems with society and at our college campuses. And I want to run that by you, Herm, uh, and, and show the hypocrisy of what the and left is doing. After that, before we go, uh, we got a little, we got a couple, maybe a little racing updates. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll throw out there for saddle standing and racing. How about there. that? There's a lot more to listen to, man. We're going to take a break right now and listen uh, and pay attention if you would, and give a, a listen to our sponsors. Uh, and then we'll come right back. I'm Virginia state Senator Bill Stanley, man, leaning right. And I'm Hermie Saddle. This is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Saddler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. We'll be right back. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Saddler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Saddler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at exit 12. The Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on exit 11B off I-95. And Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. When I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure that we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer, and he hates lawyers. So give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. That's www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure we're the lawyers that you swear by and not at. And we're back. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. Thanks for the break. I had to go pee-pee. <laughs> <laughs> That's TMI. I'm Hermie Sadler. <laughs> turning left, leaning right and turning left is back with uh, Senator Bill Stanley and, and myself. 
We're powered by Pacematic. For more information about Pacematic and what they're doing for small businesses across the Commonwealth of Virginia and other parts of the country as well, go to www.pacematic.com. Yeah, and if you want to, if you want more information about this podcast, go to www.lrtl.com. That's our website for this podcast. You get all the up-to-date episodes plus the ones that we've had. Hermie, I don't know if you know this, but this is like episode eighty-five. We've done eighty-five episodes, which is pretty impressive. You got to figure that's like one hundred and seventy hours of you and I talking on air. Uh, not to mention the hours and hours, thousands of hours we talk off air, but. You know, Are you tired of me already? Never. I could do this for another 85, another 185. I could keep this going forever, and I hope we do keep going. I think it's informative. I, I hear about what we do each week from a lot of people, uh, not just across the state, but also in the halls of government. And so it does have an effect. You know, The casinos are printing transcripts of whatever you and I write about, so we're obviously having some effect here. And, uh, and it's fun to do, man. And, and so, you know, we've talked about over those 85, 84 podcasts before this one, you know, how we're seeing um, just a change in, in the United States when it comes to, to certain things that, that the woke culture, and I've always said, I'm not woke, won't be woke, can't be woke, uh, I'm unwoke. And what we're seeing is across this state and across this nation, our college institutions kind of, you know, controlling the minds, indoctrinating our children as they get older to think in a way that has allowed, you know, transing of children to be okay. And, and, uh, 75 pronouns. And if you don't identify somebody with the proper pronoun, then you're a misogynist or, or, or should be called out or, or the limitation even of free speech that used to reign supreme in our colleges is now restricted speech. And yet in this week, we've had something that I think points out exactly the hypocrisy of what's going on. As we all know, and we mentioned uh, when it happened back in October, terrible tragedy, Hamas attacked Israel, killed thousands of their citizens, raped them, killed children, held them hostage. And we've seen now Israel defending itself, which I think it has every right to do against an evil organization that, ru- that rules Gaza and punishes its people and harms its people. They've crossed a line and now, you know, Israel says never again and, and we've had enough. And you would think, you know, 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, if this had happened, that um, the people of the United States, including our young people, including our college institutions and institutions of higher learning, would be supportive of the state of Israel and its right to exist. But also, it is a Jewish state. And, you know, we thought that after World War II, after the defeat of the Nazis, of which so many Americans gave their lives for freedom, and to protect uh, Jews who were persecuted and, and murdered during the Holocaust, that we would have learned our lesson. But here, what you've seen, Herm, and, and you see it on the news every day, and now the news kind of changes pro-Palestinian, is you know, anti-Israel, anti-Jewish protests. People in this multiculturalism of the, who have come to our great nation and should be enjoying the freedoms in uh, the ability to express their, their opinion, but at the same time, that everybody de- deserves a right to live free. And instead what we're hearing are chants of infatata and, and against colonialism. This is one of their cute words they use. And for the murder of the Jews of genocide and genocide against the Jewish people. And, and it's younger people doing it. It's the radical left doing it. And now what we're seeing in the hotbed of all this uh, discourse is that now it's come to the forefront, just like when we were talking about when, 
our, our elementary schools after we came out of the pandemic demonstrated the indoctrination that was going on to our children. Now we're seeing at our higher levels of institutional knowledge, our colleges and universities, uh, that there is a real racist hatred for the Jewish people because Jewish people represent colonialism, which is, you know, this is why we should feel guilty and be ashamed of our whiteness or whatever, or our colonialism and, and our, and our expansion in the United States, we should feel, uh, you know, it's the oppressor versus the oppressed kind of thing. And now it's turned on the Jewish people who are going through a tough time brought on, not by them, but by Hamas. And, uh, and now we see it in our college university. Did you see that video? And that was in Congress. It was a, it was a congressional hearing where the, I didn't didn't watch the whole hearing, but I did see some of the highlights of it. Elise Stefanik was, uh, was doing the questioning is best. I remember. Yeah. And so what I want to do is just kind of play this. So, they, so Congress, the Republican-controlled um, House, of, House of Representatives, brought Harvard University's Claudine Gay, the University of Penn's, UPenn's Liz uh, McGill, and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT's Sally Kornbluff. They appeared before a House Committee on Education and the Workforce to explain and defend their approaches. Now, remember, and I don't think I have to remind everybody, uh, free speech has gone the, by the wayside in our colleges and universities because if you were to speak out against transing the kids then that was hate speech. And so they put speech controls on uh, at least someone with a conservative view. But, but when it comes to the liberal view, because we've seen on campuses some of the most hateful rhetoric and chants, and from the river to the sea, Palestine, fight until Palestine is free, is basically unequivocally a statement for the annihilation of the Jewish people and the elimination of the Jewish state of which the left believes are occupiers and colonialists. Now, you know, this racism is okay so long as it's this kind of racism. I want to play, and hopefully you can listen to it. Hopefully I've done this right. But I want to play this hearing. At least Stefanik, a representative who's now my hero, asks a very simple question to these three university presidents of our highest uh, uh, highest institutions of, of, of learning and knowledge, MIT, UPenn, and Harvard. They asked these three presidents to explain whether they think that extolling genocide of the Jews is hate speech and subject to the code of conduct and perhaps being removed from the university in the same way that if someone was chanting no transing of the kids or misusing pronouns would knock them out of school. I want you to listen to this right now. Does M- at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment, yes or no? If targeted at individuals, not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated as harassment if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? 
If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. Mm. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual. Targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, wow. intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. So the answer is yes that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Can you believe that? I Unbelievable. Mean, calling for the genocide of Jews, which their students have done number of times in... And they've even chased Jewish students into locked rooms to, to protect themselves. They've ripped down posters. They've said some of the nastiest things about the Jewish people in Israel. And for them, if, I'm, if I heard this right, Hermie, well, you know, it depends on the context and if it leads to conduct. As Stephanik says, what, killing Jews? Then, then it's a violation of their policy? But yeah. damn it, you can't have a conservative viewpoint and express it on their on the grounds of their campuses uh, without triggering somebody, having microaggressions, and people being charged. If you remember, I have this this bill that I'm dropping uh, that creates transparency uh, for when a student is accused of some kind of microaggression anonymously or something, when they say some some speech that offends another student who now can't study. Well, that's not okay. Remember, speech is now restricted if it's conservative speech, if it's speech they don't like. But if it's about colonialism and annihilation of the Jewish people, unless there's con it's taken into context and it results in conduct, it's not something that violates their code of conduct, which would require the removal of that student. And, and just think about it this way. What if they had said, um, if they were chanting for the annihilation of all black people? or in Native Americans, where do you think, if, if there was a group of students that, that were chanting that on the college campuses, take out Jewish, 
the annihilation of the Jews and put in blacks, put in Native Americans. Where do you think that student or students who were ch- making those chances, chance, where would they be? Where would they be, Herm? Yeah, I, uh, I applaud uh, Mr. Stanek for, you know, calling these people out for what it is. And, you know, a lot of things, some things that we talk about on the podcast, we need to explain and break it down and do all that. In this case, to me, that line of questioning and the unwillingness of these college, I use this term loosely, leaders, unwillingness to answer them in a lot of ways speaks for itself. Um, And it's just another example of why we've got some of the problems we've got with some of these colleges that have an agenda. And uh, we're lucky to have people like Ms. Stefanik uh, in Congress that's willing to call this stuff out. And that's the only way we're going to bring attention to it is to force people to not only answer the questions, but keep pressure on them until there's actually action taken, which I'm not aware of any action that's actually been taken um, at any of these universities to correct a a narrative that is very, very wrong um, targeting a specific group of people. I mean, it's breathtaking. And, you know, um, it is not just these three campuses, not these just three the, just these three presidents. It's on every campus, uh, except maybe Liberty University or Hillsdale College. If it's a conservative college, you're not seeing these protests. But we're not just seeing protests. We're seeing violence against Jewish students. We're seeing Jewish students now suffering from anti-Semitism and threats to their uh, livelihood lives and ability to study. You know, if that little microaggression occurred where somebody was against, uh, you know, DEI or, or transing the kids, my God, they'd have to go to their safe space and that person was kicked out for, for saying it. That's called free speech. Well, this is free speech too, but you can't have it for one, one part of the campus and not the other. If you're going to restrict free speech, then do it for everybody. Uh, but this is hateful, hateful speech that calls for the genocide of a, of a, hu- of, of a race of human beings. Yeah. This goes way beyond the pale. And these entitled little birds that are going to college and getting their gender studies degree or their fine arts friggin' degree can sit there and think that they, they can chant this and it, isn't it cool and sweet. And I'm, I'm wearing a kufia kifafa or, you know, whatever it is they wear. And they're tearing down posters of people of children who've been kidnapped or writing on them murderer. And they get away with that crap. And that's where our future is. I mean, that is our future. Let me ask you a question. Why, why, why are more people not paying attention to stuff like this? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if you haven't seen the degrading of our society and our common beliefs, I mean, this is right. This is it on, on display and why college is useless. Now college that runs up all this debt that has grown 400% greater than the the rate of inflation over the past 10 years. And, and they're going into a four-year program and this is what they're being taught. And this is what's acceptable. And this is what's not acceptable. Free speech goes by the wayside. And, you know, for them to say, well, it can be, depends on the conduct or the context. So it's free speech for this speech, but not free speech for every speech. And they fail to see the harm, the real harm uh, that this does uh, for their institution and the viability of their institution and the credibility of it. Man, I'm, I'm just blown away well, by you, it. You can just only hope that 
these walls are being torn down chip by chip by chip because it's going to take people bringing this stuff to the forefront and getting it, getting it in front of more mainstream type people to, you know, because there's, look, there's people in Bill, you and I both know them. They can read this stuff, even watch this stuff and hear this stuff. And it, either they don't believe it or it doesn't register. And uh, I just don't understand, you know, we've talked about several different issues on the podcast today about divisiveness and about unity and lack thereof. And this is a, another alarming example of that and what they're trying to do and are successful in many ways of doing uh, to our uh, young adults uh, heading into college. And we just, I mean, we just, we're doing our small part here on the podcast. We just have to continue to bring these things to the surface, bring it to light and make people pay and pay, pay a price uh, for what they, what they are doing, how they're doing it and the effect they're having on uh, kids that are entrusting and, and parents for that matter, they're entrusting these supposedly places, institutions of higher learning in, in what they're doing to our kids. Yeah, and I think when you think about the effects of this, you know, this colonialization and decolonialization, their little haughty friggin' talks about that and how we're the oppressors and they're the oppressed and diversity, equity, inclusion, which quite frankly is against colonialism. So now what you're, you're thinking of, diversity, equity, inclusion should include Jewish people. But now it seems that the Jewish people are the, a part of the oppressor group and not the oppressed group. And even though they're, they are a race, you can be racist against them because they fall into the white colonialist, white nationalist, whatever you want to friggin' say, or whatever quippy thing you have to say at that time. So now they're the enemy. And so they should be annihilated, which I guess, you know, Herman, a bigger, in a bigger view of this, it shows what they want. They want the annihilation of, of America. They, they don't want, you know, America stands for something awful, not something great. This is a matter of fact, it's not lost on me that we're recording this on December 7th, 2023. Uh, this is the day of remembrance of Pearl Harbor Day when 2,403 Americans were killed. It started World War II for, for the United States and to fight against tyranny and oppression and, and the Nazis and fascism, and yet they're the ones that almost are repeating what they are, that it's now okay to be anti-Semitic. It's now okay to, to view the, the Jewish people in a way because they're now oppressors like white people, like the settlers of the United States, the, the English colonialists in, where, in Africa and, and Europe and the Middle East. And so, you know, and climate change, all this, all this is coming together in a sense of, you know, what we have is bad and our country is bad and you should not be proud of it. And therefore, uh, now it demonstrates, I think it rips away the curtain again and demonstrates that what they stand for is racist. What liberals, the liberal, liberal left stands for is racism. This is, in my opinion, the racist party. Uh, you would never hear a Republican ever chant something like that. You'd never, you would never hear them do anything except say that they love America and they want America in all of its colors and all of its fabrics and all of its differences uh, to come together because we come together on the, under the guise of freedom and liberty and justice. But all that's being torn away. Our justice system is being torn away. And now we see where this, where this uh, beehive 
of total hate for America has been brewing and it's in our education system at the starts at the local public level. And now it, it foments itself in full glory at the, at the, you know, at the higher education level, our colleges, universities. And this is an epidemic uh, that quite frankly makes me scared of if this is who's following us to keep our nation free and to keep it a Republic, then I am concerned. I'm concerned about the future of this great nation. Well, I'm glad we brought it to light and, educated a few more people and I just hope on this issue and so many other things I just hope people start paying attention because it's not what the United States of America is supposed to be about in no, 2023 sure. and no, sure. we've got to stop it well and and you know again it's just like our fight against government uh, we're trying to make government better and what we're doing helping small businesses but we love America we love Virginia we want to make it better everybody in this instance and in standing there sitting there at that congressional hearing and saying it depends on the context or if there's conduct, if they actually start killing Jews, well, maybe there's a problem and then we'll deal with them and maybe suspend them from campus. Ridiculousness. And they, see, they get caught up in their own, in their own fantasy and, and futility. And so, you know, even then, so the UPenn and I want to, I'm going to play this just on my phone, but the UPenn, President Liz McGill, and I guess all of them, because Harvard released a statement saying, oh, I meant to say yes, even though they had rehearsed. It depends on conduct and context. But I just want to play this one real short. The woman that was smirking while saying it depends on conduct and, and context now all of a sudden is trying to save her ass. And here's what she said. There was says. a moment during yesterday's congressional hearing on anti-Semitism when I was asked if a call for the genocide of Jewish people on our campus would violate our policies. In that moment, I was focused on our university's longstanding policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution. What? Which say that speech alone is not punishable. I was not focused on, but I should have been. The irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. It's evil, plain and simple. I want to be clear. Yeah. A call for now genocide of Jewish people is threatening. After the fact, let's yeah, be clear. Yeah. So. I want to save my job. It is intentionally meant to terrify. <laughs> I'm not on Fox News. I'll be clear. Subjected to pogroms and hatred for centuries, <laughs> the, and were the, the victims of mass genocide in the Holocaust. Oh, in my view, now the Holocaust is real to you, huh, lady? For intimidation. For decades, under multiple Penn presidents and consistent with most universities, Penn's policies have been guided by the Constitution and the law. Bullshit. In today's world, we are seeing signs of hate proliferating across our campus and our world uh, in a way thought. not seen in years. Your problem, These lady. policies you need made to be it. clarified oh, really? and evaluated. Well, let's have a sit down with a Penn therapy dog and, and pet it and, careful look at our and decide what's right and wrong. And Provost Jackson and I will Liberal immediately convene the process to do so. As president, I'm committed to a safe, <laughs> as president secure, for the next two weeks, supportive environment, <laughs> so all members of our community can thrive. Sure, we can, and we will get this right. Because <laughs> you got it way wrong, Thank lady. <sighs> Disgusting. Which goes back to what I'm saying. I'm glad people are bringing this to the forefront, and I'm glad for Mr. Fanick for pushing the issue because without that. Um, horrible performance under oath, 
he would never have come back and even tried to come back and say, I screwed up. Let me try to put the back in the course, you know, and, <laughs> the genie um, back in the damn bottle. Yeah. And you yeah. know, you got to so, believe that their PR, you know, UPenn's PR crisis team was just like, Oh crap. Now we need to, you know, we need, you need to read this and be real serious and that way it'll go yeah. away, but it shouldn't go away. She should resign. Um, I think it should be an awakening to parents that send their kids there, that they're not getting the kid, the education that they're paying probably a hundred grand a year for. It should be awakening that, you know, all this debt that now Biden wants to forgive for student loans, which I think is crazy, has been paying for this type of thinking and education. And I think it should be for every donor and alumnus who, who gives money to these colleges, the wake up call to say, this ain't what I'm paying for, man. And I think there's alternatives to, to college and certainly these snooty friggin' schools. I think that always has to, uh, has to, uh, be in the forefront. If we're going to change America, I think we need to start with the education system and the deliverables. Even Democrats are saying, uh, you know, this is crazy. It's just, it's just the whole thing of this elitist, um, you know, uh, we're better than you. We know better than you. We're untouchable. This, this kind of mentality that they've just got this, we're up here and y'all are down here and, we know it all, and y'all, it's just that whole mentality just irritates me. Yeah. So I'm glad, I'm glad uh, at least a little bit of attention was brought on this and forced that particular person to, uh, uh, to, to the extent that she was able to, um, you know, admit save her, her ass. errors. <laughs> Try to save her ass is what she's doing. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I've sent my kids, my upper two, my first two to college both of them being conservative from a conservative family. And, you know, even my, my youngest or my middle child was just suffering because there's such liberalism being just provoked and encouraged at the administration level, at the professorial level. And we're talking about a, a university in the Southern part of the state. And, uh, and it's, if you're conservative, then you're the devil. Um, but if you're a liberal, then you free speech is for you. As we always say, those rights are great so long as you agree with me. And as long as you agree with me and I'm the, I'm the president of these universities, then you can speak your, spew your awful hate. Uh, but if there's a contrary view that I don't like, then that's restricted free speech. That will be in violation of the code of conduct. But say you want to kill all the Jews, eh, you know, that's colonialism, anti-colonialism. So yeah, go ahead and say that. Hypocrisy has a name. Our zeros of the week go to these three uh, professors who are just the epitome of Let's what's be wrong clear. with America. They're not, the, they're not the only colleges and universities that, that um, need to be exposed. And hopefully us bringing attention to this on this podcast, which is not a subject that we typically, you know, talk about, will help bring some attention to and maybe hold some of these people who feel like they're above the law, uh, maybe hold them a little bit more accountable and it'll help somebody at some point down the road. Hopefully. Yeah. Thanks for letting me get that off my chest. It just burned me up. And then to see their little weak apologies afterwards, I hope they get what they deserve, which is the unemployment line. I hope this wakes up America to make us say, we've got to make a change in the way we educate our young people. Um, and you either got to make free speech for everybody and not just for the chosen few, uh, or you, you're going to restrict all speech. Uh, and, and that's, I guess what they can try to do in, in colleges but the hypocrisy is ridiculous. Hypocrisy has a name and its name is education. 
So let's get off that topic, buddy, as we as we crest through the last uh, part of our podcast for this week. We got a couple. We got the smart uh, race schedule coming up. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, smart modified tour schedule for 2024 came out. Um, boy, it's a going to be a tough schedule for us and a lot of other teams. Yeah. I mean, they've got a couple cases where there's you know, one case where there's a back-to-back races Friday, Saturday, and another case where there's a Wednesday, Friday, Saturday deal. So it's going to be grueling and tough, but we're up for the challenge. And as, as it relates to Sadler Stanley Racing, I mean, you already know uh, Bobby Labani and our team went and tested uh, last week. You know, Bobby ended the season on a great note last year, winning two of the last three races. And so uh, we want to not only uh, capitalize on that, but we want to improve our performance um into 2024 so we've already tested uh, and then next tuesday uh, i'm going down we're actually going to the wind tunnel at aerodyne and and take our cars to the wind tunnel and try to uh you know work on when you go to some racetracks really really short tracks aerodynamics may not be as big of a factor but when you go to places like north wilkesboro that we won at in the past and some of these other places aerodynamics is is big even in open wheel racing. So uh, we're going to the wind tunnel next week and 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 try to see what we can learn there as far as balance and downforce on our cars uh, to track them, try to make them better uh, for 2024. And a little bit of a tease. I'm hoping by next week um, you and I will be able to jointly announce some news on our race team. Not only as it relates to our driver lineup for 2024, but sponsorship. And other things that we're working on, you know, behind the scenes to try to prepare uh, Saddle Stanley Racing for uh, for 2024. So we've got some exciting things being talked about and, and cooking behind the scenes. And and uh, but uh, one thing we can both say now for certainty is that Saddle Stanley Racing will be competing uh, in the Smart Modified Tour uh, in 2024 and trying to win that first championship. That the first two years, although we've won. Some races that championship has eluded us in uh, the last two years, so we're going to try to do that little bit extra, that little bit more in 2024 to try to give our drivers and teams an opportunity to win a championship. You've got some great ideas, and you and I were talking about them last night, night before. Um, I think we we were really looking forward to this upcoming season. March second is the first race at Florence Motor Speedway. That's South Carolina, right? Florence, and- South Carolina. Yeah, right, not too far from Darlington. So and that's where the series opened up uh, last year as well. So are you going to that one? Because I'll be in the General Assembly session, but I might drive down from Richmond to go see that race. And then March 10th, Caraway, that's when we're getting ready to end the General Assembly session. So I'll be traveling from Richmond to come see it. What I'm really interested in, you know, Chris Williams has put this kind of intriguing schedule together. I think it shows that he's really stepping up his game. I'll give him credit there. March 23rd at South Boston Speedway, the race is called the King of the Modifieds. And I've been working on this a little bit with old Chris, so I'm not going to give away too much. But that has the potential of being one of the biggest open-wheel modified asphalt races in the nation on March 23rd. So, And we're, we're planning a lot of things. And, you know, our, our sponsor here and our sponsor for our race car is also the sponsor for the series. It's going to be a big deal for Pacematic. And, and here's why also I think that's about two weeks after we get out of session and about two weeks before we go back into what's called the reconvene and veto. Hopefully, we've got a good regulatory uh, tax and, and regulate uh, framework in place for the return of skill games in Virginia. Hopefully, it's emergency legislation uh, voted 
uh, for by two thirds of the House and Senate, <clears throat> and therefore uh, it becomes law when the governor signs it. Hopefully, those small businesses are back in business and participating in the in the gaming industry in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But that is going to be a huge, huge race. Yeah, and they are all important. Um, you know, we as it relates to Bobby Labonte, you know, by the time we got to the end of the year, Bobby was, you know, one of the fastest cars on the track everywhere we went. Obviously won two out of the last three and probably could have won South Boston had a little luck gone his way. Um, but so what we've got to rectify this year is how do we get off to a better start? And so that's kind of what we're focusing on. That's what we're working on is going back to the tracks because, you know, we were not great at Florence. We were not great at Caraway. Uh, and Caraway is a, is a racetrack this year that there's three races at. So we've already been to Caraway one time to test. And we're working on our long run balance and speed, especially when we put a new tire on. You know, so we're trying to take the positives from the first two years, especially last year, and hold those in place. But take the the places that we struggled or the places we were not as good uh, as, as I said, Caraway. I mean, we got to go there three times. Yeah. Uh, next year, we've got to get that? better at that, at that racetrack. Why? I don't know. I mean, that's what the schedule. That you know, that's that's um, you know. But I'm saying we have to attack that racetrack because Caraway is going to have about a you know twenty percent you know say so in who wins this uh, championship that one racetrack. So we've got a we got some work to do there, and and we feel like uh, last week with our test, we've already made some. Uh, some gains and some make some ground up and and we're looking forward to continuing that and as I said going to the wind tunnel and improving the aerodynamic balance uh, of our cars is is important and um, but I would say maybe next week on the podcast or if if certainly not next week by uh, by two weeks we should be able to give our listeners a whole lot more information about what's going on with Saddler Stanley Racing and uh, you know our plans to uh, you know step it up. In, in 2024 and try to win that uh, championship that thus far has eluded us. Yeah. And, and you even mentioned, we've got the back-to-back races Friday, Saturday night, new river, all American speedway in South Carolina and the Carteret County speedway. That's August 30th and 31st Friday, Saturday, back-to-back races. That that's a lot on a team. I mean, it's easier to, to get there and stay there, but you know, you got to hope you don't wad up your equipment to, to get through that thing. And that's on Labor Day, Labor Day weekend. So Labor Day weekend yeah, at this, the beach this, racing. You know, and that's a little bit of a change in in concept for the smart tool because it's been a rare occasion when they didn't even run back-to-back weekends, you right. know, to, to try to give teams an opportunity that if they had crashes or misfortunes or blown engines to get it back together. But uh, people, uh, owners and teams and drivers are going to have to be prepared for, for more this year than they have in years past or as far as 2024. And uh, so we're working hard behind the scenes to get our cars built and get more parts and pieces uh, ready to go for Saddle Stanley Racing to give us a chance to, um, you know, to be at 100% every time we go to the racetrack. And we show up in September again at the Dominion Raceway up there uh, north of Richmond, uh, Lonesome Pine Speedway the next week. we That's in southwest Virginia over near uh, Bristol, actually, in, uh, in Wise County. Uh, then... Uh, we're going to Rockingham, which is not the Rockingham. It's called Little Rock. They have a little, a smaller track there. 
And supposedly we're going to go back to Rockingham there on October 12th. But the big thing, I think the finish, which I got to credit the Smart Series for doing, is we're now having our championship race on October 19th at North Wilkesboro Speedway. I mean, that's a perfect place to end. Weather's going to be just about right for racing. And from what I understand, the Cars Tour is going to have their championship race the same weekend. I mean, that that's a pretty good deal. I mean, the Smart Series stepping up and especially partnering up with the Cars Tour. That's That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, I saw the video with Chris Williams and and Harvick and Keelan and you know uh, Matthew Dillner. I mean, they and smart move by Chris to get a rub off the cars tour because they've got a lot of star power behind you know that tour with Harvick and and Jeff Burton and uh, the other people uh, involved with that. So you know, uh, I'm excited about what's going on with Saddle Stanley Racing. I mean, I'm I'm really excited about the finish to the season we had last year. Not only our wins, but we had some second place finishes and, and you know, it looks like it looked like towards the end of the year things really started to come together uh for our team and we want to um as I said, uh build on that. Uh, and our sponsor Pacematic, really thankful for them for not only what they do for Saddle Stanley Racing, but also sponsoring and supporting the series that has such a positive impact on a lot of these rural areas in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And oh, yeah. by the way, into North Carolina, South Carolina, and other states, even that they don't op- even where they don't operate, that shows to the selflessness of people like Pacematic, you know, investing money and time and resources and things into communities that they don't even operate in, yeah. and that says a lot about Pacematic. It does, and and you know, I was talking earlier about the lobbyist who represents the casinos, and even they said that drives them nuts that they've got this insight on the rural areas, they've got this insight in a sport. Uh, they're they're trying to see if they can compete or catch up. The things that are driving the casinos nuts are, you know, that that they have such loyalty with the operators, the the convenience store owners, that really fight for these skill games and for their patrons. But what they really uh, can't catch up to, and they want to, is the community involvement of Pacematic in uh, in and through this race series and in and through this race team, and uh, that confounds them. And I think it bodes well in terms of demonstrating what a good company, as you said, uh, Pacematic really is. Um, everybody so listen, there are great uh, people, listen, especially listen Alan Joseph. <laughs> yeah. Listen uh, next week and we, uh, either next week's podcast or the, uh, or the week after right around Christmas time, we, uh, we should have everything ready to, uh, to, to announce and, and, uh, but, uh, Regardless of when the announcements come, our team is working hard. In fact, our guys with PSR are out in Indianapolis right now at the PRI, you know, trade show. Yeah, what is that? Uh, where all? What's that? What is that? It's a trade show where, you know, people within the motorsports industry. Chris Williams is out there because I, I think Phil Stefanelli told me uh, last night that he bought dinner for Chris Williams last night, or Chris invited himself to dinner and stuck Phil with <laughs> That's more like it. Well, the ladder. There yes. you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, uh, he's got alligator arms. A lot arms. of good things going on. You know, a lot of good things going on. We're excited and can't wait to share all the news of what the plans are for Saddler Stanley Racing heading into 2024. It's going to be a fun year. Man, I'm getting I'm getting excited about it, brother. I want to get back on the track, and I know it's impactful. As soon as we end this podcast, which we we're, we're going to have to do right now. Big changes are coming to, to Saddler Stanley Racing, man. I'm excited about the future, man. And and as always. I love to do it with you, and and I think we make such a difference, and we have a good time, and and you and I are competitive as hell, so it makes a big difference to all. So, um, 
that's all I got on my list today to talk about, brother. I think um, I think we hit some big topics and ended it with the ones that matter most to us, which is racing as well. Uh, but we'll be back next week with another episode. You can always find us on Facebook, Leaning Right, Turning Left Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, the infamous, scandalous Sadler Senator uh, Twitter feed. And certainly give us a five-star rating. You can find us on all the major platforms. We appreciate uh, Podcast Heat, our our bosses, for putting us on all the major podcast uh, platforms. We love those guys. Uh, Make sure you check out their other podcasts as well. They've got a lot of wrestling uh, podcasts. And what's the one with Jeff Jarrett that's called My World? Yeah. My World with Jeff Jarrett. Go go listen to that as well. But but thank you for listening. We really appreciate that you listen to us and, and you give us all this feedback and and you make us want to come back every week and do it again uh, for for every day that we possibly can. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, Leaning Right. And I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm Turning Left. Thanks again for tuning in. This is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pace We'll talk to you next week. God bless you all. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson with SaveWithConrad.com. You've heard me bragging on the podcast for years about helping people save money on their current house, but did you know that I can help you with your next house as well? That's right, we can get you into your next house with zero down. No money down loan programs are still available, and I know it sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you. And by the way, home ownership is more affordable than you might think. We routinely turn renters into homeowners, and we hear back that their new house payment is more affordable than what they were paying in rent. Why would you keep doing that? Stop throwing your money away, paying for someone else's mortgage, and start building wealth for your family. And let my family help at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit to do this. We can improve credit scores down to the 500s, and it's worth mentioning, we never say no. We say not yet, but here's how. You need a game plan to buy a house, and that's where we come in at SaveWithConrad.com. We'll ask you, what down payment do you want to make? And zero is an acceptable answer. And what monthly payment do you want? And then it's time to go shopping. Find out how easy it is and how affordable it is to become a homeowner at SaveWithConrad.com.